The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And the detectives were there and Russell introduced me, just said that this police officer would like to, or this detective would like to ask you a couple questions. And so I said, sure, whatever, you know, I was, I walked into seeing the policeman and that was more upsetting to me because I knew something really bad was, had happened, but I didn't know what. And it was a case of just sure, whatever anybody can do to help. I, so they asked my name, asked me how I knew Kathy and little stuff like that. And then just said, did anybody at Archbishop Keogh ever do anything to you that you didn't want them to do? And I thought, that's a strange question. I was taken back by the question thinking, Kathy's the one that they can't find. And why are they asking me if anything happened to me at Keogh? I've graduated from Keogh. And so at first I was taken back by the whole question. It just threw me off because I didn't know why that had anything to do with anything. So I was just taken back and I said, no, I said, other than in a sock hop, there was a boy from Gibbons that tried to kiss me. And that was a little bit of a snicker there because that wasn't what they were looking for, obviously. They knew probably instantly from my response that I didn't know anything of, about what they were talking about. Can you repeat the question one more time? And it was a police officer or? It was the detective in plain clothes, but he was a policeman to me. It was, it was a policeman. It was a detective. He was wearing, I remember like a, a beige trench coat, just those like those London fogs that guys used to wear in the rain and stuff back then. He had that on, but he was a little bit tall. And I was, I'm only five, four, so anybody's taller, but he was taller and he had what I thought was short, maybe Sandy hair. I don't know his name. I, his name was told to me, but it went out of my head in all this time and, and probably instantly back then too. He asked me if there was anybody at Keo that ever did anything to me that I didn't want them to do. Did he write any of this down? He had a little notepad or something, notepad and a pen or something. And I guess he was taking notes from time to time. He appeared to be writing something down, although I didn't see it. I have no idea what he wrote, but he had a little, one of those little white flip notebooks was writing little things that he wrote my name down, I guess. As soon as I told him my name, he was writing something. But after that, I don't know what he wrote down or he didn't ask me much after that. I guess that was all he needed me for. There wasn't any other questions after that. There wasn't, I told him Russ had my phone number. If there was anything that they needed, they sure contact. He asked me if it was okay to contact me. And I said, sure. And 
Were you standing inside the apartment? In the living room was in the living room to the right of the door, the entrance. When you walk in the apartment to the right was the living room and I was standing in the living room. Nobody sat down. It was, we were all standing. I remember just standing in the middle of the room with Russ was next to me and, and the detective was there. And there was one other policeman in the room, but he didn't ask any questions or anything. And he was in a regular uniform to my knowledge. I think he was a regular policeman. Right. Now you just said that Russ was next to you. Yeah, she was standing there when right. I was talking to him. Do you think it's likely that she heard your conversation with him? I'm sure. Uh, yeah, because she was standing there with me because she knew I'd be scared with the police and with this getting bigger than here it is. She went out shopping and then she hadn't come home and then I didn't hear anything more. So initially in the morning until I talked to her and then I went over and I knew something then was wrong, but I didn't grasp the severity of it until I was there. So she just stayed there with me while we were talking. And say you're like really certain that she would have heard that officer asked that question? I'm fairly certain because she was right with me. Yeah. I don't remember her wandering off or doing anything else during that time. It was a a brief encounter. I can't say that the conversation lasted more than five minutes. It was brief and uh, there were other people milling around. I think everybody there in that room that morning just wanted to do something to help. I know that we said a million times, Nobody would want to hurt Kathy. Who would want to hurt her? That was the biggest thing. It's like, why isn't she home now? And I can't imagine anybody wanting to hurt Kathy. And so that was the biggest bafflement for me. And just the conversation I was having is who'd want to hurt her? Nobody. This was Saturday morning. So do you remember how long you stayed or what you did the rest of the day? It was busy with the people around. And I think I was there for a little while with Russ just sitting, but not doing anything. It wasn't. We didn't know what to do at that point. We were just staying by the phone and just seeing what we what we should do next. There wasn't any, we didn't want to go out in case she came back. If there, if there was something, if we got a phone call from somebody, Russ wanted to stay there. Nobody went anywhere. We didn't do anything. I ended up, I went home. I'm trying to think if my mother or my father came over any time during that period. My mother may have because she, she would have wanted to probably bring food knowing her. She was always trying to take care of them. With Mm -hmm. stuff like that, but I can't really recall. It's just vague memory that I don't have. I just remember being there and I don't, I knew that I drove my car over. I can't really recall how long I stayed. I didn't rush right out the door after they talked to me. I know that. I remember sitting down and just seeing the activities going on around. Not much after that. I just Mm -hmm. think Jerry Coob, I think Jerry and Pete must have stayed with her because I wouldn't have left her alone in there. She wasn't alone when I left. And so there were people there. And by that time, I think word was spreading that something had happened to Kathy and that she was missing. So I would imagine some of the people that were there were friends of hers, you know, that maybe other students, I just can't remember sure. the exact people that showed up. But it, it, I, to my knowledge, Russ didn't go anywhere mm-hmm. that day. And how did her um, demeanor, how was she during the day? Was she more you aware she, of her being more stressed or crying? Well, he was. No, she was not crying. She did not cry. I can't recall her crying. Russ was always a very strong person and very kept her emotions inside. You you really, she could be upset about something, but she could have had a bad day at work, but she wouldn't bring it home and start saying how bad her day was and complain. That wasn't her at all. We pretty much would just talk about our just plans that maybe we were making or what we wanted to do or a project she was working on or just something. And it was never, you would never know if she had the worst day in the world. She just didn't carry it with her. And her concern for Kathy was definite. We knew she was concerned and worried, but she wasn't panicked and she wasn't crying and emotional to where you couldn't focus. She was definitely 
working with the policeman and asking this or the detectives asking if there was anything else they needed or I know she gave them her contact, her phone numbers, and they knew that they could reach her. And I'm sure she must have sat and talked with them before I was even there. And I know they were there the night before. So I'm sure she told them everything she could. But I, looking back, I'm guessing that either she knew something that had gone on with Kathy, maybe Kathy confided in her, which wouldn't be unusual, their roommates and their friends. Mm -hmm. And possibly she knew something, spoke to the detectives. And the detective's way of finding out was to ask me, a former student of Archbishop Keogh, if I possibly could have been one of the victims, maybe, and just had never said anything. But right. because of my answers, I never had any, and nothing that ever happened to me at Keogh. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know anybody that I didn't know this was going on. I, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, I couldn't have imagined it back then. She must have, someone must have let on unless the policeman himself already knew of things that were going on over there and was trying to see if I was part of it. Were you aware of him asking any other young people or students who were there the same questions? No, I can't recall anybody else my age that was there. I can't think of anybody offhand that just no faces are coming into my brain. I just remember there were people there, but I can't remember who they were, to be honest. I really, I just, like looking back that, that far, I imagine I must have been in some kind of shock hearing, sure. knowing all this had happened. Sure. And so walking in and seeing all these people, it was a blur. And then I was simply trying to cooperate and answer what I could do to help in the short little contact I had that week. There really wasn't anything else I could contribute. I wasn't part of any of anything sinister that was going on over there at all. And so I was no help in that department at all. I knew nothing. And I didn't, looking back at it now in hindsight, once again, I can say someone had to know in order to tell the policeman what to ask me, but yet I don't know that for sure either. I never got Mm -hmm. over the next four years after this that I stayed close to Russ. I never, we never discussed it. And I never had any thought in my mind ever that she would have ever known anything about it. I felt she was just as distressed when Kathy was missing as anybody was and was still at a total loss as to what where she could be. Did the police ever get in touch with you again after that one time? Nope. No, I never had any discussions or anything directly with anybody. No, I only heard what I heard through newspaper accounts. There were so many articles written about this, especially after her body was found. And so I would read about things that it, that they had discovered or like her body and investigations that were going ongoing, but nobody ever contacted me and said anything after that. When you heard about her being What did you do? Oh, my gosh. I was just knew after two months had gone by or a little more than two months that it was not good. We knew we all we kept thinking my mother and I would say to each other, what could have happened to Kathy and who could have done something so horrible to her? And we didn't know. And so when we did hear that she had passed and that they had found her, it was horror at first because of the condition they found her was in a dump, essentially landfill or a dump or whatever. And so it was heartbreaking to find that she had been out there in the cold and that entire winter and we didn't know it. And she was so close by to us. We were in Arbutus and this place wasn't all that far away. And to think that she was within reach and we couldn't find her, it was devastation to begin with and sorrow and then anger because somebody had done this and wanting to find out who did. And our constant thoughts were who would hurt her? Nobody that knew her would ever hurt her. 
And back then, murders weren't something that were every day of the week. It wasn't something that crime wasn't like it is today. I, it was just so much more shocking. Was Russ still living in that apartment? Did you go over yes. when you heard about it? She still was in the apartment. I don't remember. Yes. And I don't remember. This is terrible. She, I, she was still in that apartment, I believe. But soon after, she moved to another apartment on the second floor of the building next door and mm-hmm. stayed in that apartment for quite some time for the whole time that I was that I knew her and was friends with her. I can't. That day is a blur. The day that she was actually found, I can't recall what I did. Or I'm, I'm sure I must have seen Russ that day because that's the first thing I would have done. Mm-hmm. When they find out, and but I can't recall it. I can't pull it up in my brain as to what exactly we did. But through the whole experience of her with the funeral and everything, when they finally released her body and that kind of thing, we were all sad and we were all upset. But Russell, she, when she would cry by herself, I'm sure in a room. I don't think she always was the strong one around us, trying to make sure we're all okay. But I, I can't, honest to God, I wish I could remember. I wish I could pull it up in my brain exactly what I did that day. But it's a blur. The day that Kathy, that we were talking about, the Saturday that you were there, the day mm-hmm. after Kathy disappeared, there uh-huh. is a well-known picture of so many police cars all up and down, parked up and down Frederick yeah. and North Bend Road. I'm assuming it was that Saturday afternoon. Were you aware right. of all of them when you came oh, yeah. out of the apartment? Yeah, we didn't. She didn't have a, in the apartment, she was in the ground floor apartment. So you'd have to. You had to come out and look outside to really see all that. When I was in the apartment and in her living room, I wasn't paying attention to all the cars and stuff that were around. So, yeah, they had up the street, there were cars. I guess it was probably from where they had found her car that there was a lot of action and stuff going on. And I remember seeing police cars and stuff. And then when I got in the apartment, finding out that her car had been found literally a block or so away on North Bend. That part was very upsetting because she got so, we were thinking she got so close to home. How come she couldn't, she didn't come into the parking lot and why didn't she get into her house? And so that was my first thought was why, what could have happened to her from a block away, you know? In our ongoing journey, dissecting real life mysteries, I found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s. June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. And join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. And then I do remember when I was in the apartment being told what was in the... They were trying to find the time, go back on the timeline with her. 
They knew she had made it to the to the bank and to the store because there were muley baked goods in a box in the back seat. The talk, I'm not, I can't re- recall exactly. I'm guessing that it was because Jerry and Pete had gone out to look for the car and they found it. I'm guessing they were the ones that we were talking about a possible sign that Kathy could have given us as to what where she was because there was two twigs that looked like they had been stuck together with a string from her slip. It was like just a white thread thing. And it was dangling from the turn signal of her car. And we were talking about that because it was like, what could that mean? We just didn't know what it was. And back then, we didn't know all of the horrors about masculine, about all of these horrible things that happened to the girls. We didn't know what the sign meant. And we were trying to figure out what that could possibly mean, that there was those twigs dangling from the turn signal. Did you see it? No, I did not see it. I did not go up to the car and actually look in it, but I was told that it was like that. I don't believe they touched anything. I don't know if the police found it. I don't know where that that part of it went. I was just told that there would that seemed to be these two twigs with some thread hanging from the turn signal. You and we were thinking, what could that mean? But we used to always, we talked about how Kathy was very symbolic. She did everything. Right. If she could send us a signal of where she was and who might have taken her, then that might have been a sign. Like maybe she had time while she was riding in the car to, to twist that string around those sticks and throw it there or something. We, I remember talking, and I guess it was to Russ and to whoever was there while we were in that apartment that day, just what could that mean? What could that sign mean? But we didn't, I, I didn't have a clue. And I Do never you- came to any conclusion from what it could mean. Right. That it was some kind of symbol. Now I look back and think it was probably she was trying to tell us it was a priest. It was a religious. It was a cross. But I didn't know what that meant at the time. There is a crime scene black and white photo of the driver's side of the car with the door mm-hmm. open. And okay. whatever it was hanging from the turn signal. Jerry took us over there. And okay. What he said, there was a long piece of grass, like dried grass, like almost like you see like seagrass hanging over the turn signal. But he never said anything about a cross or thread or... Okay, that's... I never heard anything about grass. I never heard the word grass. What it was... When we were sitting describing it, it was like... And I never visually saw it myself. It was told to me that it appeared to be like twigs that were just twisted with some string that could have come off the slip. And it was, and dangling from the turn signal was how it was described to me. We never came to a conclusion in that conversation about what it could mean. We just kept saying, I wish it, we knew what it meant so we could maybe find her. Like maybe mm-hmm. she was giving us a signal because she, mm-hmm. she's an unbelievably smart person. And oh, yeah. we knew that. And she was very symbolic. We always knew that too. We just thought this is a symbol of something. She's trying to tell us something. And to my knowledge, they may have thought it through, but I never heard any more about what that meant. Russell and Jerry were part of that conversation that you all had? Yeah, we were, everybody in there that morning, that later in that afternoon that were left in the apartment. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, the grass is significant because it would be typical of the area where she was found. Okay. And we didn't know if, we don't know why it was there, but I can send you the picture of it. You can take a look okay. at it. Okay. 
Yeah, that would be helpful. Maybe at the time when we were talking about it, we naturally didn't know where she was, but that would make sense that it could be something that whoever took her to the to that dump and threw her body there would have come back and maybe had it on their coat or their clothing and it got stuck. And that could be something so simple that 50 years later, I'm just thinking that for the first time. But at the actual moment afterwards, we were trying to think what the sim- symbolism of that sign was. And the way it was described to me, I have no other way to describe it. Grass was never a word that I heard. And so the discussion was that it looked like some twigs that had been twisted. Maybe that no. was what they were trying to hope it was, that she was sending a signal. I don't know. That would have but been just, Kathy. No, that I would have been Kathy. Don't you agree? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And right. so with the mystery just unfolding on that Saturday morning, I can't think that maybe the discussion went on later on with Russ and the detectives or whoever after they analyzed that grass or whatever it was and came to a conclusion it was something else, but it wasn't anything that I ever I was never part of any discussion about it after that. It was just during that morning when they were discussing that the Muley baked goods were in there, the buns, they called them pastries or whatever. And right. then the uh, and then the umbrella that's in the back of the car, that was just always there anyway. And then... Wait, stop, stop. Mm-hmm. Go okay. back and say that again. That was always there? There was an umbrella. Yeah, I think Russell kept an umbrella in the car. Okay. Just in case it rained or anything when they were going to... Yeah, I, I can't say that I wouldn't see it there. But we always, when we were going out places, if it was raining, we had an umbrella, so... That part of it wasn't unusual to me. Okay. I rode, I'm, I've been in the car. We went to downtown Hutzler's a lot. And we would go shopping and she would drive. So yeah, I'd been in her car several times and usually it was very clean. They took whatever they had in with them, but you know, to throw mm-hmm. something in the back seat, like an umbrella. I, I had seen an umbrella in there before from when we'd gone out. Okay. Um, so since you were in the car a number of times, uh-huh. there's also a big controversy over whether the front passenger seat was broken or whether when you were getting out of the back seat, it folded an angle. Oh, God. When I rode with her, I would just jump in the front seat okay, and sit next to her. So I, I'm not sure. Although it was only a two-door car, so if we had to put anything in the back seat, we would have had to push it forward. I can send you that picture, too. Sure. I don't really know in particular if the back seat did anything different or not. It might have opened bigger because it was just two doors so you could get into the back. But I, I don't really like remember because it looks broken, yeah. but it, I think it's open that way. I would imagine it'd be easy to find out if the model of that year's car yeah. had a back seat that did that. I don't really know, but I just right. would jump in the front seat with her. And I'm not even sure we wore seatbelts back then. I doubt it. We would go downtown She because I hated driving downtown. And if we went to go to Hutler's or any of the stores, Stewart's or somewhere, she would always drive. That's all I know about the car. It wasn't, mm-hmm. she never had it junked up. There was never anything in the car except her person. You know, whatever we brought for the day, it wasn't, she never had cups or anything sitting in the, and it was always a clean, very, kept very clean. Do you remember a little trash bin that sat on the hump between the two front seats? Just a square trash can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think there was a square trash can that was Mm -hmm. in there. Okay. I don't think it had a, it didn't have a top on it, I don't think. Because that was also pushed over to the Okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was, yeah, that was on the hump. Yeah, I can recall that, but there wasn't, there wasn't anything else. She didn't keep things dangling from the mirror or anything. There wasn't any, anything else right. in the car that was anything remarkable that, that she'd remember. The morning of Sister Kathy's disappearance, we know that Jerry states that Russ told the police when she was questioned that Russ knew of no reason why anyone would want to harm Kathy. Now, I heard her say that. I heard her say that. Yeah, so with Russ being within earshot 
of the police's conversation with you and with you knowing Russ as well as you do, don't you think that she would have questioned if she had no knowledge on why they'd be asking you that if you've ever had bad interactions with Keo, do you think she would have been like, Sharon, why did they just ask you that question? Good point. But we didn't. She never did. She never asked me. And I never really said anything more than that. I think I, I think afterwards I probably said something to her like, well, Kathy's the one that's missing. Why do they care what happens to what happened to me over there or anything? But there wasn't any, it, I don't recall a, re, a response to it or any, it, afterwards it didn't seem odd to me that she didn't respond in one way or the other. It just wasn't discussed. We just didn't talk about it anymore. It was like, a, that was weird. You know, like, why would they want to know that? But I didn't dwell on it after that. I'm Like I said, I was an 18-year-old kid at the time who was probably more afraid of the police because they're police and I didn't want to say anything wrong. And I just said what, what they needed to know, answered the questions the best I could. And, and that was it. I, I, sure. I was just scared to death for Kathy, not knowing what the heck had happened, where she was. In a previous conversation that we had with you, you had mentioned something that was important. And I wanted to make sure that we touch on it slightly because Gemma remembers in school when Kathy was teaching that she sometimes had a, an illness of some kind or she seemed mm-hmm. under the weather sometimes. And the reason why, can you talk about I do. That? Yeah, she had been over to the emergency room at St. Agnes. I don't know how many times, but I know of one particular incident where she went over and she had kidney stones. She had kidney problems. It was kidney stones that were just, that's a chronic kind of thing. I think that she had where they would act up and she would have them and the pain would be bad and she'd have to go over and be treated. And so that I know was one of her illnesses, but I don't know of anything else that chronically, I do know that she was a, of the two of them with Russ and Kathy living together. Kathy was the frailer of the two as far as medically. She got tired easy and she would, she would just come home on an end of a day if you saw her and she really looked exhausted sometimes. That part of it, I knew that Russ was stronger than anybody I ever knew. She was athletic. She did the cheerleading from school and she was always very healthy and active and never felt sick. I doubt that she ever even got a cold. She just really wasn't a sick person. But Kathy, on the other hand, was the frail one as far as having illnesses that would layer layer up a little bit where she needed to take time off and stuff. Did you ever meet Kathy's parents or her sister? No, I did not. Nope. I knew they were Pittsburgh, but I didn't. I knew they were from there, but had never met them. Now, you've mentioned that you met Russ's uncle, Ignatius. Do you ever meet any of her brother, sisters, or her parents? Yeah, her parents. I had spent a week in 1971 down at their house. They lived in Maitland, Florida. Pace Avenue was the name of the street. And we had flown down in, I believe it was probably June of 71. And it was a Christmas present that she had given me was a trip to Disney and to meet her parents. And Uncle Iggy went with us. It was He invited us too. So on the Eastern Airline flight down, it was Uncle Ig and Russ and me. And then we went down and we met her sister, Mary, and she had a brother and then her mom and dad. And I think it was William and Patricia, but I can't remember for sure if that was her mom's name. I, I don't know why my brain goes crazy. I know she drove a Cougar car when we got to Florida. That was cool. And she drove <laughs> us all around. <laughs> but I don't remember can't, certain things get a little rusty. But yeah, I stayed there for a week. We were there. We'd go out by the pool, swim in their pool in their backyard, and then go to Disney. We did that a, a couple of times when we were there. They had just opened Disney that year. We flew home. So it was a great trip, and it was a lot of fun. Do you remember when Uncle Ignatius got her, got Russ the car? Do you remember when um, that was? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was right before she left the convent 
or exactly right after. It was right around that time that she got the car. So it would have been probably in June of 69. She had it for when she made the move. So I don't know the exact day. You mentioned that you don't remember meeting, you know, anyone formally in the apartment complex. But do you remember Russ ever mentioning being friends with anyone in the complex? No. Nope. I never did. I know she had her teacher friends from school. You know, she would have people she knew from school. But I don't even recall that she had any of them down to the apartment or anything. School was school and home was home. So I don't think that she really, at that point, had only been in school. It only just started a couple months and she was just getting to know people. Because it was a brand new school and a whole new situation. And the kids she was teaching were younger than the high school she, that she was used to teaching at. So the whole situation was new to her. So she didn't really have any best friends or anybody that she hung out with or anything from school or from the neighborhood at all. Who did she spend most of her time with after Kathy disappeared? I would venture to guess that would be, I spent some time with her. We both worked. And so during our daytimes, we're busy. Other students from school, possibly. I knew that she had other students. There were other nuns, I would imagine, former nuns that that she knew that she would keep in touch with. Yeah. Do you remember when Pat Gilner moved in around? That was, yeah, that was, she moved in when Russ had moved to the other apartment on the second floor of the building next door. She moved in when she was up there. I don't believe that she lived in the one in the that was in the ground floor, the one that Kathy lived with it, in with yeah. her. She may have for a short while, because she told me that how possible felt like sleeping in, in the bed that was Kathy's room. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But she might have, it might have been a slight overlap, but I know I remember her mostly from when she was on the second floor because, you know, she was there then with her. And when I'd go over, she was home, right. she'd be home. And yeah, mm-hmm. we would talk, but I, I don't remember the exact date that she moved in with her. I knew she was by herself for a little while. Do you know if after Kathy disappeared, if she went and stayed with her uncle for a while? It's possible, but I can't swear to that. I don't know for sure. I don't recall her being gone from her apartment, but it would seem logical that she would do something. I'd be scared to death to stay in an apartment yeah. for somebody that's missing. But I, that period of time, for some reason, is mystery can't recall a lot of facts about those two months. I don't know why. I don't know whether it's just that it was such a horrible time that I've erased it. I don't know, but I can't. I, I know I was in touch with her and that, that we spoke. And I know that I had seen her in that period of time. There wasn't a two-month period that I wouldn't have seen her. And I do know that she made the move from one place to the second place. I know that would have been for her to be more comfortable not being in the same apartment. And I would imagine she just had to wait for it to be available to move into. Did she go back to school like one time or did she stay out of school for a while? I don't think she missed school. I want to think that she stayed working. I don't recall any period of time where she took any breaks from school or anything. I would imagine there'd be days here and there, like around the time her body was found and all that naturally that she would have been maybe called out in funerals and thing, that kind of thing. But I don't recall her saying, no, I'm not going to work and I won't be there. No, I don't. I don't recall that at all. And I don't recall that she was without her car for very long when they took it in to do whatever they did to it. And it's possible that Uncle Ig was over there on that Saturday, too, because I can't really recall all the people that were there. It's possible, but I can't mm-hmm. swear to it. She was the closest or he was the closest person to her in the Baltimore area. Her family was from Baltimore, but they had moved to Florida by this time. I imagine she had other relatives, maybe around cousins or something. But Uncle Ig was the main person that was her relative that I knew. 
Now, we did find out that they returned the car almost immediately. It's interesting because even if you have a missing persons case, it sounds like from everyone that we've spoken with who knew Kathy and Russell, that Kathy was not one to just leave the car on the middle of the intersection never, and disappear. Never, never. So it's interesting to, to us when we learned that they returned the car so soon and that they did mm-hmm. treat it as a missing person, but not as a missing person case where that person was at danger. Did right. you ever have, do you have any memory ever before her remains were found of a conversation with Russell about what she felt could have happened to Kathy. I'm assuming she didn't think Kathy just went, walked up and no, she knew out. she didn't just walk off. No, if there was any discussions at all, it was we would just say, "I can't imagine where she, what happened." We, I can't imagine. There's nobody. The big thing we kept saying was, "There's nobody that would want to hurt her." Kathy was loved by everybody, and that had that was the main thought of anybody that would walk up to you and say, "Oh, I'm sorry, I heard about Kathy." I don't know anybody that would want to hurt her. I think that was the most common sentence that we heard over and over by everybody. Former students, just when people read an article in the paper and say, oh my gosh, I didn't know your your teacher was missing. Who'd want to hurt her? That was the next thought. So the only thing we would ever say was, I can't imagine anybody that want to hurt her. What could have happened? We really had no idea whatsoever. That detective, what he asked you just... That's it blew cool. my mind. It's blowing a lot of minds who are listening to you right now. <laughs> really I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, it blew my mind. Yeah. I must say, when I look back now over the course of things in hindsight, first thought then was, why is he asking me this? Kathy's the one that's missing. I'm not missing. Why does he care what happened to me? But I thought he's the policeman. I'm going to answer the question. But I didn't have an answer because other than just having a, a boy named Phil trying to kiss me, there's nothing else that happened at Kiev to me. And so I, I was totally taken back by that. And that's probably to this day why I remembered it, because it was such an odd question and I had no answer. And then that particular discussion in my, in 1969, on that particular day, that was the end of the question. There was no follow-up. There wasn't anything else that said, do you know anybody that's ever been hurt? There wasn't any follow-up question. So I thought it an odd question, but then they moved on. I moved on and never gave it another thought as far as what what did he mean until after the keepers, until all of this started coming out. And then I'm thinking, that's why they wanted to know. But never did I at the moment think I didn't know what to think. And if Rush was sitting next to you. Then yeah, standing, it, standing. It to, yeah, it had to be in her head, too. And yet yeah. he wasn't comfortable. She could have. Been she didn't say anything. No, she did not say anything. There was no, she never chimed in and said when that question was asked of me. In fact, I don't believe that she chimed in. She just stood there with me, but the questions were just brief and that was the end of that. So that question stood out in my mind is when you're looking for somebody, why are you asking me if anything happened to me? I, now I know why they asked that, but back then I didn't. And also it probably stuck out at that point because they hadn't been teaching at Keo for several months when she went. So for well, them to it was ask the summer, about nobody them. was. Yeah, that's true. Nobody was there for that summer. And then they, you're right. They hadn't been teaching there from September, October. You're right. They hadn't no reason to be there at all. That's true. Of course, Sharon wasn't there either. She had gone on to college. Nope. Yep. And I don't know if they asked anybody else those same questions. When I was there being asked, I, there wasn't anybody else that they were asking at the same time or anything. It was just, to me, they asked those questions. They, I guess they asked everybody individually. 
if they, whoever they contacted to ask, but it wasn't like a group discussion at the time. It was just the, me and right. him at that point with people walking around in the apartment, but not, I think they had made coffee and they were just, it was more like a gathering because of the circumstances, but nobody was in a good mood, but it wasn't anything that nobody was crying and hysterical and going nuts or anything. It was just a fact finding mission by the police at that moment. And they were there gathering their information and the cars were out there. And at that point, I knew they had found the car, but I didn't know what they were doing with it at that point. Cause I just pulled into the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I don't, I can't recall that there were a lot of police cars in the parking lot because residents lived there. So I imagine they parked on the street. Oh yeah. There were a ton all the way up and down the street. Yeah. Like up and down the street, 20, but like I didn't have, cars. A, yeah. yeah. And I didn't have a problem when I pulled in and get it, getting a parking spot when I came mm-hmm. into the apartment. So mm-hmm. that wasn't a problem. Did Russ well, ever I, mention anything missing from the apartment? No, I can't recall anything missing from the apartment itself. Do you remember if she was scared to live there after that? I imagine we had to have, must have asked her if she was, but I can't recall her discussing it or talking that she was scared. And I don't remember it being a big concern enough for her to leave. I would imagine that my mom would have said something like, if you want to come over and stay with us, you can. But I don't know if that ever happened or not. She stayed there. I know that she stayed there in the beginning. I think if she had gone over to her uncle Eggs, I'm not aware of that. I really hope. A ton of Keogh graduates listen to this podcast. I really hope that if there's anybody else that was over there that weekend or that remembers being asked the same question, that they will do what you did. Allow us to, you know, talk to you. Yes, I hope so, too, because I don't remember like, yeah, they were there. There were people there, but I honestly can't remember who they were. It's just gone out of my head all these years later. and. Probably at that moment, too, just being stunned by the whole situation that I just was functioning, but not really. And I remember the things that were important that I remember specifically talking about what was found in the car when they found it and and trying to backtrack, knowing that I remember us talking that we know she made it to the store in the bank because there's proof of that she had. She wouldn't have gone to Muley's without getting money from the bank to to do it with. So we knew that went first. And then she had this stuff in the back of the car. And we're, we were talking about that. And then the car is found a block away. We thought, why couldn't she make it into the apartment? What happened? She had to have been taken, but we didn't know. Beyond that, the questions were just questions. We had no answers. Did Russ ever mention whether she had any type of opinion of Jerry or Jerry's and Kathy's friendship to you? No, but I got the impression they were all friends, that it was a very, it wasn't a strained talk when Russ was there I think Jerry was more of to lean on than as a friend than being there as someone that you know she didn't I think she was friendly too and that this was a support attention friends are you ready to embark on a journey into the unknown this Mother's Day prepare to dive into the depths of your family's history with mylifeinabook.com each week mylifeinabook.com sends intriguing questions, uncovering the thrilling tales of your mom's past, and then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. From daring escapes to nail-biting encounters, her life becomes an epic adventure waiting to be explored. This Mother's Day, give the gift of excitement and intrigue with mylifeinabook.com. It's a thrilling ride through your mom's life that you won't want to miss. I gave this to my mom last year, 
and let's just say I didn't know my mom as well as I thought I did. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SHANE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SHANE for 10% off today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. person. So I never took it as if they weren't just really good friends too. And I would think that Russ trusted him or why else would she oh, yeah. call him right after you? Definitely. Totally. I know that was her first, probably first response when, when she said she's going to call Jerry Coop and see if he can help her maybe find her and go out and just look, maybe canvas the neighborhood or do something to just see maybe her car broke down and Russ didn't have a car. So there she needed somebody to take her. And I think that was the first thought that she had would be to call him. It's not that they had a lot of people they knew that they could just call up and run over. She's newly out of the convent and the teachers and the people that she knew I would call acquaintances. I don't think she had any real good friendships that were new that she would call that night. And so I think Jerry Coob was the obvious Mm -hmm. closest one for them. Do you think they did ride around and look or backtrack to Edmontonville? Oh, yeah. I'm sure she did. I'm sure she did because Russ is a doer. She would have gone out and tried to find something immediately. but. It's possible when Jerry got there that they said, let's just call the police because this is not like her at all. I'm sure they would have all been so concerned that this is gone. I'm glad you called me. Now let's call the police. I don't think they waited a long time to call the police. Probably the time it took for Jerry to get to the apartment because she was alone in there. I would imagine that she would have been a little bit scared at that time of the night. Kathy's not home. What do I do now? Because she did call me. I think she was, I don't know if I'm the only one that she called, but. She called me pretty soon on when she felt that Kathy wasn't getting home. It was way late. She should be home. Did she tell you on the phone that she was going to be calling Jerry? Yeah, she said, I'm going to call Jerry. And and I think I mentioned to her, I said, do you want to call the police? And she said, well, I don't know. I think at that point it was doubt as to whether, what if she walks in the door in 10 minutes? I'll feel like an idiot. It was, I know that the call was in her voice was more of a, what should I do thing? Do you think I should call? And. It was, I think she, de- I know she decided because I wouldn't have told her to call Jerry Coop because I wouldn't have known. I, I know that she knew them and they were friends, but I wouldn't have known for her to do that. And I said, well, you've got to call somebody. Do you want to call the police and, and let them know that she's not back yet? I think at that point, I know when she talked to me, she wanted to just wait a little bit because she thought, well, she still might come home. But she says, but I think I'll call Jerry Coop and see if he'll come over. Maybe we can maybe canvas the neighborhood and just see if she's had, I think car trouble did mention, you did come up as maybe she had a flat tire and she was trying to get it fixed or something. So, and like I said, many times, there's no cell phones back then. Thank heavens we have them now. 
you can get help so quickly. But back then you couldn't. You had to find your own means. To your knowledge, you don't know, though, for a fact that they actually went out and drove around the neighborhood. I don't know that they drove. No, they, they could have driven around it in his car. But no, I don't know that for sure. But I do know that they went out and walked. I know that they went out and walked and, to see what they went up the street. Um, I would imagine it was Pete and it might have been Russ, too. At that point, I'm not sure unless she wanted to stay home in case the phone rang. But I know that Jerry and Pete went out and that's how they found the car. Right. They went out walking. They walked. Yeah. And that part I know because they just by talking to them the next day that I knew that they had walked out and found the car around mm-hmm. four o'clock in the morning and then said what was in it and stuff. And that's what we were talking about that morning. So much of, OK, she made it to the store. She made it to the bank. What the heck? Where is she? Is mm-hmm. the car where it is? And was mm-hmm. all questions at that point. I never left that house that day or that apartment thinking to myself, maybe this happened. <laughs> still mystery. It was still everything was a question. Did Russell or ever mention to you uh, the girl from Keogh who visited them the night before the Thursday night? No. And that Maskell and Magnus came in? No, I can't. Russell never mentioned that to me. I don't know. I guess I've heard it from, I don't know what, whether it's been in the, I don't know whether it was in the Keepers or if you guys mentioned yeah. it. I don't know. We've, we've I didn't. Name anonymous. Yeah, I did not know personally ahead of time about any of that. No, I would imagine there were students or people that would that stopped in, you know, here and there. Everybody was behind Russ and Kathy when they left the convent after they heard what it had that they decided. There were so many people, I imagine, that that offered their help and went over. And that happened a lot and stuff. But I never knew about unless I happened to be there and somebody would drop in. I wouldn't know it wasn't something that would come up. A lot of people who have seen the keepers, of course, and did not know Russell. It seems some people have held strong opinions or questions on if Russell was someone who could have been involved in Sister Kathy's death. Are you confident that she could have had nothing to do with this? I am more than confident that she never had anything to do with it. I know that when you're looking and watching whodunit type shows and you find out that it was somebody you never would have thought. But with Russell, there is no way. Russell and Kathy had a friendship. And if anything, she would have maybe been the next victim. I I just, I can't imagine. She was scared, but in her own stoic way of dealing with things, I think she felt she could protect everybody if she just didn't say anything. She was either threatened by somebody, by Maskell or whoever, and told that this is, this will happen to you too. She didn't want to affect, she didn't want anything to happen to her friends, her family, anybody. And probably herself, too. It had to be self-preservation that if she did what she was told and just shut up, then she would be okay or be left alone. And I'm guessing that was the only reason she never said anything. Just total fear, but not being able to say anything. And to my knowledge, she never talked much about it to anybody. I think it was a a, a subject that wouldn't be discussed again. I really don't think so. Because in the four years I knew her after that, we didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it. We knew on November 7th, it was everybody, it was the white elephant in the room. We sat the saddest day ever, but it was a silent, it was just a sadness that was always there, but not ever discussed. And I guess looking back now, it's, that's the odd part that we didn't discuss it, that we didn't talk about it. But I guess in in my heart, I just thought if she can't talk about it, I'm not going to ask her. I'm not going to keep making, putting salt in a wound that's already horrible. And I had the impression she was, as in a, as unknowing of any of the activities that happened at Kia while they were happening, can't imagine her knowing it 
I'll I'll never know, but I would never get the impression that she was involved in any way other than a secondary victim. After Kathy disappeared, were you aware that Jerry was looked at so closely by, by police for a long period of time? Not for a long period of time. I figured in the beginning, anybody that knows her would have been fair game, especially a man. But after that, I, I lost track of any of the investigations. And then I would read about the things that they had hounded him so much afterwards. I just, no, I would never in my, he was another kind person that I couldn't imagine would be one of the bad guys. Yeah. And you were around him a lot that morning, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I could never have even pictured that he was anything other than devastated, but not, I could never imagine that he'd be anywhere near involved. No, no, he was, he would pace. I mean, he, when he was in the apartment, there was a lot of pacing going on and people just walking around. It was, yeah, there was no, but no hysterics, no breaking down. There wasn't anybody. It was the calmest. I think because that Saturday, there was still hope. You still could think that maybe they'll find her and she'll be okay. So it was concerned, but it was never any, no, I would never have thought for one minute. I, all through life, I've been a pretty good judge of people. When I meet them, I can tell good, bad, or indifferent. I can get a feeling about people. And he wasn't one that I ever felt anywhere near intimidated by or uncomfortable with, never. We know that after Kathy was murdered and her remains were found and all of that, we know that after a period of time, it seems that Sister Russell falls off with with her friendships with a lot of people. And from our last conversation that happened to you, can you kind of tell us what happened? That did happen. We were very close. In fact, she helped me plan my wedding. She was in my wedding. She was the maid of honor of my wedding. We had a great time. She helped me pack my suitcase for my honeymoon. It was a very light, happy time. But then when I came back from my honeymoon and we had our apartment and I saw Russ and heard from her lesson, I still would talk to her. I'd still see her here and there. But basically, I think she felt okay, they're married now and they don't need a third wheel hanging on. Russ wasn't dating anybody. And I know that she would have loved to, I'm sure. But I think she just pulled away and started having her own life in a different way. And we weren't, I wouldn't say best friends anymore. Not that we weren't best friends in my heart. She's always my best friend. But yet it was different. And and she did trail off and pull away a little bit. The last contact I had with her was my birthday, February 28th. 1974, she left a present on my, we had a second floor apartment in a, it was a two-story building and just two apartments, one on the bottom floor, one on the second floor. And she brought up a, a wrap gift and left it on my doorstep. Didn't knock, didn't come in, just left the gift and a card. And, and that was the last time I ever saw her as face to face. I tried calling her. I worked in a, I'd gone to work for a doctor's office in Arbutus. And a lot of the students that I went to school with were having kids and coming in and I would hear things here and there. Did you hear Russ got married? And did you hear she has a child? And it was through a couple of years I was hearing like she had a life that I was not part of. She didn't call and invite me to the wedding or anything. I just, I had no idea. So that was a very sad time for me. But later on, I found later on, as in last year, when I was packing my house up to move here, my husband came across a card, a Christmas card from Russell to me the envelope was missing but the card was in in beautiful shape it was she said he found it down in our basement i just was floored by it because it was from russell and it was probably the christmas of 1974 i don't know if you want me to read it but she definitely shares a lot of herself and i don't think she ever meant to not stay close to me i think 
it happened over just her pulling away a little bit because I was married. And when I hadn't heard from her, I stopped calling her. So it became one of these accidents. We parted ways, but didn't know we were each parting ways. But when I saw this card last year, it brought me to tears because she was telling me in this card that she had met her future husband, John Welch, and that he had been a former teacher at Spalding High School, where she was then teaching. And that they planned to be married in June at St. Mary's Seminary Chapel. And she told me that, she says, you know how much I've wanted this, and I've never been happier. And then she just went on to say that he's a great person, and she's really lucky. And that she had known him for seven years, and they had just started dating that June before she got engaged on her birthday in November. And so the last thing that she wrote to me, she said, I'm sorry I didn't keep in touch with you after Easter. And she wrote three little dots after that on the card. And she said, hope you're both well and things are good for you. And I hope to see you. And she signed it, Love Russ. But I never saw this card until last year. Mm. And when I did, oh my God, did it, it, this particular card changed my life because I thought, had I gotten it in that Christmas, I don't know how it got misplaced or where it was, but it surfaced beautifully last year and I was able to find it. She didn't drop me like I thought she had. Things just happened. I guess that's all I can say. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 